Hello, welcome again to another edition of Two Ways News. In fact, it's the first edition of the year. Tony is still away on long service leave, although he's coming back next week. And welcome to you, Tala. Hello, it's good it, to be back. It is indeed. Now, Tala, you've been uh, out in ministry from college a few years. What yeah. what you've been thinking about lately? Yeah, well, yes, I have been. It's been a few years now in full time church ministry and. One of the things that um, you notice, I guess, is that there are disputes and disagreements in church, in amongst ministry workers. That's uh, sad but real, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And they're disagreements about what is important, what is not important. Um, and so we sometimes use the words first order issues, second order issues. So what are first order issues? What are second order issues, Philip? <laughs> yeah. Yep, it's it's a language that is used that I don't like. Frankly. Why not? <laughs> well, I think people use it's a second order issue mm. to avoid confronting what the issue is. It's a way of kind of sidelining the discussion. We don't like conflict. We don't like conflict, and so to avoid conflict, we can just put things as, well, that's a second order issue. We don't need to talk about that now, Yes. which means we don't mean to talk about that Ever, Ever, because we don't want to resolve any conflict because that would be too painful, yeah. especially if we don't resolve it. Yeah. So we just call it a second-order issue. Yeah. There is an important difference between important things and trivial things. There are some things that are more important than others. I mean, remember Jesus, at that incredible chapter 23 of Matthew's Gospel where he gives all the woes, and one of them he says, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites!' For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guide straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. <laughs> there are differences between gnats and camels. <laughs> there are <laughs> A few. <laughs> a few. And there's, there are gnat issues and there are camel issues. Mm. And... Not to be able to distinguish that is, well, it's a bit blind. It's a bit silly. It's, it's, you really are hypocrites, as, as Jesus would say. However, you do notice that while we must pursue the really big things, justice, mercy, faithfulness, he also goes on to say, without neglecting the others, that because we're pursuing justice, mercy and faithfulness, doesn't mean that we can ignore tithing our mint and dill and covenant. So you don't, you don't replace less important issues with more important issues so that you don't have to do less important issues. They're still issues. But Philip, you say common, I say cumin, which was right. Uh, you say no. tomato, I say tomato. I mean, that's that kind of thing. <laughs> potato, now, potato. There is a good illustration of something that is really unimportant. But you're most likely right. <laughs> I wouldn't know how to say that kind of... I know mint, I've got dill, <laughs> I'm often called that, but uh, <laughs> cumin, no. okay, let's call it cumin. Uh, but you see how a pedantic mind, even though one that is accurate and right, such as yours, <laughs> can miss the point of the big subject over dealing with a detail, and yet the detail is still right. Mm. It still has to be pursued. Mm. I actually thank you for correcting me on this. I'll try and write you read it correctly next time. <laughs> I mean, take another one from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says in uh, chapter 5 of 
Matthew's gospel. Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. We we must pursue the big matters, justice, mercy, faithfulness. But that doesn't mean the small matters don't matter at all. And so sometimes people have a difference, a disagreement over something that is fairly small. And you want to say, well, kind of get over it. It doesn't matter that much. Um, We've got more important things to deal with than this. However, you can also use that kind of it doesn't matter, let's get over it, move on to avoid conflict and conflict that could be very important, conflict that actually has significance and importance down the track. So it's kind of like Romans 14 where you've got one person counts one day as more important than another or in 1 Corinthians when it's food sacrifice to idols. So there's um, those kinds of issues that we've been talking about. Yes, they're the kinds of issues people can be disagreeing about which in the light of Christian fellowship are not that important. Mm. However, they can still be right and wrong. I may be at liberty as to which day of the week I think is important because I have the gospel belief that the day of the week doesn't matter. Whereas the other person doesn't yet understand that the day of the week doesn't matter. Whether you have the Sabbath on a Wednesday or a Sunday or a Saturday, that doesn't. they still think it is important to have it on a Saturday for the Seventh-day Adventists or on a Sunday for certain Protestants and so I, I ignore my view for the sake of them, to mm. keep in fellowship with them. But so, my view still matters. Yes. You know, and if they preach the gospel that you must have the gospel Saturday as the day of the rest, then they are actually adding to the gospel and so undermining it. So whenever something is undermining the gospel, at that point it, it is a topic, a conversation that you have to have. You can't. Yes. You cannot shy away from this is too crucial. Yeah, that's right. It's at that moment in that context. That is an issue that in one sense doesn't matter is an issue that can matter Yeah. depending on the context. That's why it undermines salvation. Yes. That's why I don't like having second-order issues as if there is a list. You know, I'd never have to fight about these Mm. because whatever is on that list could in another context, in another situation, actually be gospel important. Yeah. So we don't ask, is it second order? We can ask, is it first order at this point, in this context, in this relationship that we have? That's right. Why I ignoring a dispute now is for these reasons. Yes. It's not because it's a second order issue. You see, circumcision is one of those issues that interests me. It's in Galatians. It's fascinating. It's mentioned half a dozen times there in Galatians. But you look at chapter 6, verse 15. Neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Hmm. So point of view, the gospel, circumcision doesn't matter. But back in chapter 2, Paul said that he wouldn't allow Titus to be forced to be circumcised for the sake of the truth of the gospel. Hmm. Or in chapter 5, he says... 
you know, for freedom we've been set free by the gospel, which is marvellous. But if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again that every man who accepts circumcision, that he's obligated to keep the whole law. So here is something that is neither here nor there. So you think, oh, well, I'll put that in the list of second order issues, mm. which turns out in another context to be the very truth of the gospel. Yes. And if you do it, you you well, you're under the whole law and Christ is of no value to you. And so Titus, he wouldn't allow him to be circumcised. But if you remember back in the book of Acts, he had Timothy circumcised. Mm. So circumcision, because it is neither here nor there, is something that you're going to fight over at certain points. Yes. And so what is important or not is determined much more by the circumstance you're in and the rationale for doing it. And so in this issue, being forced to be circumcised, that's a little word that's used there in Galatians, that word force, being forced to be circumcised, well, that's requiring you to be under the law by circumcision. That denies the gospel and the freedom that we come by grace. But the act of circumcision itself, well, that doesn't matter one way or another. But being forced to does matter. And so if you're being circumcised in order to show that you're saved, in order to be saved, oh, you mustn't be. But if, on the other hand, you're being circumcised in order to not cause offence to Jews so that you can preach the gospel to them, well, then you go ahead. Yeah. So in, with a missionary heart, you you go ahead at that yes. point. You want to be all things to all people. Yes. But also there's an impossibility in that. You can't be all things to all people. You don't want to be an adulterer to reach the adulterers. No. <laughs> That's right. So what makes what makes it a primary issue? Yes, it's the gospel it's, all the time. It's always the gospel. And it's the preaching of the gospel in this context to these people. Mm. And so there are people who so misunderstand the gospel on issues that are unimportant <laughs> that you have to work out how to deal with it. Take religion itself, uh, religious haberdashery, uh, you know, putting on special clothes. Mm. See, uh, as an Anglican, there's all kinds of heritage, history, ways of dressing up clergymen and other people, the choir and the like. You see, if people think it's really important spiritually to do that, that you can't really function as a minister unless you're wearing the right clothes, then in a sense it must be resisted. You must refuse to do it. Mm. If, on the other hand, they think it's nothing other than being colourful, <laughs> other than being, oh, well, that's what clergymen know, but they don't really care, then for the sake of removing any obstacle to hearing, then you put it on. I mean, the problem with that, of course, is how, how do I know what they're thinking? <laughs> yes. You but, have to teach them. Sorry? You have to teach them. Well, you have to teach them as part of it. But there are certain things that are likely for them to be thinking. That is, right. in the history of Anglicanism, there is such a long tradition of people thinking that clergy have to wear special clothes in order to function that it is likely 
when they want me to wear certain colourful robes, etc., it's because they think it is important. Yeah. And therefore I shouldn't. It's like church buildings, the same. You know, those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't care which building we're in, and we know that the church of God is the gathering of the people of God to hear the word of God. But there are those who think you're not in church unless you're in a building with pointy windows. Yeah. You're not, unless there's stained glass, it's not really a church. Yeah. Well, in one sense, I'm happy to use those church buildings for the preaching of the gospel, but if people are going to insist that the true worship of God happens in a building of a certain Gothic architectural style, then I need to teach against that. And I may need to remove myself from those buildings and say, no, you're never going to hear the gospel here in this building because you are so persuaded of the worship of God in the holiness of beauty Hmm. instead of worshipping God in the beauty of holiness. And as long as I'm in this building, you're not hearing the gospel being preached. Yeah. We recently had a um, a baptism at my church yes. and um, a non-Christian family member came along and uh, he came early and he looked around our building and he looked at the windows and the size and he said, he turned to me and goes, is this your church? And and I said, yes. And he looked impressed, like gave me an impressed sort of nod. Yes. And um, I, I said a bit too much under my breath, wait till you see it. <laughs> because the people <laughs> hadn't arrived yet. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. He was impressed by the wrong thing. Yes, that's right. The most impressive thing is and the people. When we were at the cathedral, people used to come in, visitors, tourists would come All in. All the time. And yeah, they'd be looking. saying, where's the altar? Yeah. And the answer is in heaven. Yeah. Where the Lord Jesus Christ is. It, it's the wrong question, which shows they haven't understood the gospel yet. Now, you can put an altar in a building and you can call it an altar, but you're not helping people understand the gospel. Does it matter whether there's a thing up the front or a table up the front or not, or whether it looks like a... No, it doesn't matter unless it matters to people. Then it does matter. Mm. But you can't have a list of things that matter and things that don't matter. Yeah. And so you have to... Baptism is another one. How much water do you or don't you need to be an authentic <laughs> baptism? You know, is spraying yes. enough? Is The Anglican Church, if I remember the law correctly, says that the baby is to be dipped warily into the... Oh. Yes, you're supposed yeah. to actually have full immersion of the baby. Yeah. Um, However, it also says unless the baby is sickly and the full immersion would be uh, dangerous to their health. Okay. Of course, hardly anybody does full immersions of babies in Anglican churches. No. Uh, uh, other denominations do and other denominations don't have babies doing it, only adults. And does it really matter? Well, no, of course it doesn't matter. And so therefore you do whatever is uh, you know he's going to make the gospel clear but you see there is a church operating in sydney which says that unless you are baptized as an adult by full immersion by them you're not a christian at all mm. well then it does matter yeah. <laughs> yeah so anything can matter given the circumstances given yeah. the rationale by which people are thinking 
you were saying that sometimes we talk about things as second order because we want to avoid conflict. How do you have those conversations and how do you go, this is important, we need to have this conversation? What does it look like when people find it hard to agree? Well, I think sometimes we need to be saying, at the moment, we're too busy to discuss this. But next month, why don't we take a day and work it out together? So we actually, rather than giving a quick answer, which may only divide us more and and anger people more, we say, no, it is an important issue. It's not for now, right? I mean, at this moment, we're seeking to meet other people who have just joined the church and we need to integrate them in the church. Let's not talk about what's dividing us at this moment. But to constantly have it as a second-order issue, therefore never needing to be discussed. Yeah. Well, that's just putting paper over over a crack in the wall. Have you seen that done well, like in church? Oh, I've seen everything done well and done badly. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I've done everything well badly anyway. <laughs> Whether I've done things well, that's another judgment. But uh, yes, yes, I've seen it done where people will address the issue as a special day. Yeah. Um, but on issues that are controversial, yes, you need to take time. Yeah. In our context today, gender issues are issues that you can't brush over quickly and you can't just put into second order mm. because they are the point of conflict between Christianity and our society. Yeah. So... You can't evangelise without addressing certain issues of gender, of sexual practices and the like. That's where the battleground is being fought. It's a funny place to fight it. I think 50, 60 years ago we would never have fought it. We Mm. wouldn't have even imagined it. Mm. But that's where we are now. That book by uh, Carl Truman. The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Mind. Yes. I mean, he points out at the beginning of it, if I remember correctly, that, you know, the questions that he is dealing with, his grandfather wouldn't have even recognised as questions. And so you could do things in his grandfather's generation that you wouldn't bother doing today. And there are things that you have to do today that his grandfather would never have thought of. Yes. And so one stage or place, one period of history, um, means that an issue is important and must be dealt with, so important that really you need to take time off because it is a matter of conflict even amongst Christians at, as to how best to handle the issue within our community and best to handle the issue as we talk to the non-Christian community around about us. Yeah. So there are certain issues that are so what should I say, emotionally difficult for our society that you can't afford to have them as throwaway lines. Uh, Abortion, divorce and remarriage, uh, homosexuality. Another generation, another time, another place, you could have just had a a one-liner. But I don't think as a preacher I can afford to use them as one-liners. They're just too emotionally fraught, they're too divisive within our society. But does that mean we never talk about abortion or we never talk about homosexuality? Or No, it means we've got to take time out to do it properly and come to an agreement as to what the scriptures are saying. 
And you, if you keep retreating from having those kinds of conversations, then you create part of the problem. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, this was a problem, for example, on the the issue of the charismatic issue mm-hmm. or another one on the ordination of women issues, that certain senior ministers of churches decided for the sake of maintaining congregational unity to say nothing. Mm. But the long-term effect of saying nothing was to lead one side of the debate to actually win. Yes. And they're winning not because people have thought about it together, but because those who push their agenda strongest in a vacuum will succeed. Yeah. And so there are certain issues like that which really were and are important to deal with. Um, I, I saw many times my friends in England where the clergy were completely clear as to what they believed about, for example, the ordination of women in the 1980s and 90s. And the clergy were clear, they knew what they believed, but they would never speak about it because their their church committees, their parish councils, wouldn't back them on it. Mm. And so though they wanted to take clear action, they couldn't take any action because any action would divide their congregation. It meant, of course, in the long run, that those views they held were consistently defeated. They they could take no stand publicly in the denomination because they had taken no stand in their congregation. It's it's a sadness. The avoidance of conflict in Christian ministry is a nonsense. You can't do it. You've got to learn how to engage conflict productively, but you can't avoid it. Any ideas on how you learn that? <laughs> because, because Painfully. Yeah, yeah it, it is painful. It is it painful. Is. And especially if you've gone through a very painful, um, you know, time of working through conflict, you kind of then, your instinct is, okay, let's just take a rest. We need we need a break. We, we can't keep yes. at this. But then in the process, time moves and new people join your church and the church has changed and... And, right. and there's probably that old um, core of a congregation that goes, oh, we hear this every few years. But by God's grace, if your church is growing and accepting new people, there'll be new people you need to have That's these right. conversations with. How do you do that? How do you keep going? Well, one thing is, I mean, is the, is, you know, the, the obvious things. You pray. Yeah. Um, because it's obvious, we race past it quickly, but it is important. Mm. Another has got to do with making sure that we love people enough that we have enough relationship to cope with disagreements with them. Mm. People need to know that they are loved and that they have a responsibility to love in order to be able to sit down together and, and discuss something. And then in the discussion, not only do we need to spend separate clear time like a weekend conference to deal with the issue but it's important to make sure that we go back as far as possible to first principles Mm. to work from there towards the answer Mm. rather than picking at the the present presenting problem the presenting issue the presenting Mm. issue is see as paul 
addresses issues in his letters. Corinthians, for example, is a classic. There's all these presenting issues. You see, he keeps going back into the gospel to see great gospel truths to work out their implications for the situation that we're in. And we need to have people who are willing to sit under the word of God and willing to rethink and be open to to change their mind. Mm. The reality, of course, is there are some people who will in almost every situation have come to their viewpoint because of personal issues, personal ways of thinking, relationship, whatever it may be, that will not change. And so sometimes people will withdraw. Mm. That's a sadness, that's a loss, but that's a a reality. If we're afraid of that, we won't face the issues. Yeah. And that's a mistake. Yeah. And so every time we enter into these things, we hope for uh, agreement and um, reconciliation to come out of it. But it's unrealistic to expect it. It's a miracle when it happens and we rejoice and are glad in it. Mm. But if we are going to be held to ransom by people leaving, then we've lost ourselves. I think I think one of the... Um Examples I can that just came to mind as you were talking actually of a congregation that I've been a part of where the minister overseeing that congregation during our weekend away, um, we had wonderful Bible teaching and we had a great time in, you know, discussions and, and things like that. And in each of the sessions, he was trying to encourage us um, toward a certain idea. And in the last session, he talked in great love and we knew that he really loved us was here's something that he'd noticed about us and something that we can maybe think about and talk to each other about. And it bore wonderful fruit um, in conversations at the end of that weekend way on the way home in the cars, as people said, Oh, asked um, brothers and sisters in the congregation, how can I do this better? Um, And I thought that was a great example of how a minister had, kind of rallied the congregation around the gospel saying, here is our common love. We all love Jesus. He is our Lord. How can we live that out as a congregation? And he really taught us as a congregation. The work of a pastor is to look after a flock, not to look after individuals. Mm. You could look after the individuals in the flock. Yeah. And uh, that sounded like first-class pastoral work. It, it was. And and one of the distinctives, I think, of this um, pastor, uh, of his preaching, I think, he he often, when it came to exhorting, it was to exhort the flock rather than the individual. I think often we yes. we individualize sermons to what will you, mm-hmm. how will this affect you personally? But um, he often went to how does this affect our flock, our, our church? It yeah, that's great. brilliant. How about we pray? And I might thank God for him in particular. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for that man and we thank you for all pastors who are faithful in their task of the flo- pastoring the flock. We do pray, Father, for our contribution to the love and unity that occurs in a congregational life. And we pray that you would help us to so live under your word, be guided by your truth, that we might live in fellowship and harmony with all your people. 
And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.